Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. A couple months ago, I saw a paper that was shared on Twitter from the Annals of Diagnostic Pathology, and this was called A Medical Student's Guide to Pathology Residency, Fellowships, and Careers. And today I'm speaking with one of the authors of that paper, Dr. Natasha Savage. Dr. Savage is a hematopathologist and residency program director, and today we're going to talk about this paper, what drew her to HemePath, and some of her thoughts on pathology education in medical school. All right, here's Dr. Natasha Savage. I know initially you had wanted to be an OBGYN. So let's start there then. What was it that interested you about this field? Yeah, so I think that as a young person, you hear about the fun stuff, about delivering babies and all that stuff. And of course, I always wanted to be a mom. So this just intrigued me, the fun part of it. But I think uh, being young, you just don't realize how uh, many other things there are involved in that field, not just obstetric care, but gynecological care, um, medical emergencies, calls in the middle of the night. Babies, of course, don't come just eight to five, uh, Monday through Fridays. So I think just realizing the time constraints on that particular field and the fact that there was more to it than just obstetric care just made me not as interested in it as I was initially. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Now, were there other specialties that you, that interested you at the beginning? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm actually the first um, college graduate in my family. So certainly the first medical uh, school graduate in my family. So I didn't have a lot of exposure to the medical field prior to going to medical school. So really every rotation I did, I was, you know, interested in it when I first started, you know, family medicine, internal medicine, et cetera, pediatrics. But after doing it for six weeks or however many weeks you were on that particular rotation, there were things about it that I decided I didn't want to do long term. I didn't see myself enjoying for the rest of my life. And that kind of pulled me away from each one of those like grounding and charting and dealing with uh, prior approvals and um, dealing with chronic medical conditions that are hard to care for, et cetera. So all of those things kind of made me less interested in the few things that piqued my interest initially. Now, I've talked to a few pathologists and some of them have said that, you know, it came down to either pathology or surgery. And I know, I know for you, that really wasn't the case as, as far as surgery. So what, what, what did you think of surgery? Did, did you feel like that was for you or, or if it wasn't, why not? Yeah, so that was one of the ones that I knew day one. It was not for me. Um, I am not a quick thinker. I'm somebody that likes to look at resources, kind of think through a process, et cetera. Uh, being in the operating room, I did not feel that being a someone that needs to think through things and process things slowly would would be the best fit if someone's bleeding out or that kind of thing. I, I just didn't think that was a thing for me. I've never been very good with my hands. I'm a very cerebral person. And so doing crafts or athletics, I was always the worst on the team, et cetera. So just was never a hands-on kind of person, someone that more so likes to think about things and do research, et cetera. So pathology fit that and surgery certainly did not. So then what was your kind of first exposure to pathology? Yeah, so uh, of course, like you know, all medical schools, we get pathology uh, during our initial curriculum. And with that, one of the lectures that we had was on hematopathology. And at that time, that was back when we subclassified AMLs based on um, AML N0s through M7. It was really a 
morphologic and immunophenotypic diagnosis. And I really enjoy the way that the lecturer described it, how organized it was. I um, just enjoyed how the morphologic findings um, really helped to predict what type of AML it was and the pro potential prognosis and therapeutic implications, et cetera. And I, I loved that you integrated these other things, such as cytogenetics at the time, which isn't wasn't as much used as it is today, flow cytometry, mystic chemical analysis, et cetera. I just like utilizing all that information at hand to come to a most uh, correct diagnosis to render more targeted therapy for each particular patient. And that continues to um, increase in hematopathology and part of the reason why I, I still love it to this day. Okay. So then this first kind of exposure to hematopathology, was this someone that you, you would have been like a mentor for you or more more of an influence? Or uh, did you have specific mentors that got you interested in HemePath? The lecture was uh, more of someone that I kind of looked up to. We didn't develop a strong enough relationship where I would have called her a mentor, but um, certainly when I, once I actually got into residency program, there was a mentor that I had that was an exceptional hematopathologist, a very uh, good morphologist, and she really just impressed me. I was constantly impressed at all the things she could tell about a patient just looking at their peripheral blood smear, and that that really drew me to HemePath and uh, definitely, I would consider her a mentor. In addition, um, while I was through my rotations, I had a, um, while in medical school, uh, there was a guy, an onc surgeon, who I thought very highly of. And at the time, I was still kind of struggling about what I wanted to go into. And he actually suggested pathology. And he said that that's something that he had considered before he went into gynonc. Um, and so that was uh, part of the pull and made me go into pathology. And then, of course, while in there, again, I had that hematopathologist that was a great mentor, but I had other faculty that were exceptional mentors as well, including a microbiologist that I developed a very strong relationship and really sold clinical pathology to me, which a lot of times isn't sold as well as anatomic pathology. So a lot of great mentors and opportunities that I had in medical school as well as residency. Yeah, I think that's really important. I know, I mean, obviously I didn't go to medical school. I'm not a doctor, but from what I've heard, that the kind of the early mentors that and early influences, that's really important, especially when you're at a point where you maybe you don't know what specialty you want to choose and you don't know what direction you want to go. So I think that's really important to have those things at, at the beginning. 100% agree. All right, let's let's talk about hematopathology a little bit more because this is one of the few pathology subspecialties that has patient interaction. And so I'm curious then, it, did that have any part in you choosing that subspecialty to have the to have the patient interaction? Um, so actually, no, for me, you're right. Um, heme path, uh, cytopathology, and transfusion medicine allow for a lot of patient interaction, more so than most areas of pathology. But that really didn't draw me to heme path at all. Um, I, do, I do know hematopathologists that do bone marrow procedures on patients, and they enjoy that interaction. That's not something I enjoy. I don't like doing things with my hands. I don't like doing procedures. What I do like about hematopathology is the continuity of care. Um, for instance, if you're a surgical pathologist, you get a breast biopsy, you sign it out as ductal carcinoma, and that's the end of it. You don't really follow that patient up. Whereas in hematopathology, if I diagnose somebody with leukemia, I get to see their marrow 14 days later, maybe 28 days later, maybe months later. Um, I 
the years later. So I get a continuity of care with my patients. I learn their pathology. I learn their names. Um, I really enjoy that. So that is something that drew me to um, heme path, but certainly not the actual procedure interaction, that type of thing. It's not something I'm so interested in. Okay. What about phoresis? I know you've, I, I've heard you, t- you speak about that. That's part of your, your job as well, isn't it? Yeah, I do phoresis um, as part of my clinical pathology responsibilities. I take call and do phoresis procedures, and those include um, leukophoresis for, say, for instance, our acute leukemia patients that come in with a very high white count. Um, it may include red blood cell exchanges for our patients with hemoglobinopathies, et cetera. I actually really like those. Um, those frequently are seeing patients in their worst times, you know, a patient with sickle cell disease coming in with acute chest or a new onset TTP patient. So you're seeing patients at their uh, worst time, you're able to kind of explain something to them that they've probably never gone through before or experienced before. Um, they ask a lot of good questions. It's a really good interaction and it's a quick interaction and then you don't really have the follow-up with them. Um, and instead you hear that from your colleagues, how they're doing, et cetera. But but I really enjoy that interaction and it's limited. Um, you know, it's not something every single day. It's only when I'm on call, but it does. It's really good experience and the patients are happy to see you and their family members. Thank you, et cetera. So I, I do enjoy that. Okay. Do you think that type of patient interaction is important? I mean, for, you know, pathology, whether you're a pathologist or, you know, any type of lab position, I mean, we're behind the scenes and we don't, the, the patients, the, the public doesn't see us. Do you think those little opportunities, like you mentioned with phoresis, cytopathology, and, and things like that, do you think those are important to, I guess, raise awareness about the field? Yeah, I, I 100% think it's important to raise awareness about the field. Um, I think, you know, the prime example of the anesthesiologist, they, you know, before didn't have as much patient interaction, but now they have, before you go to surgery, you be with your anesthesiologist, et cetera. And that really gives them a face to the patients. And um, pathology doing things like that is, you know, a great, great opportunity as well. Um, if patients know what we do, we're going to have more advocates for our, for our jobs and et cetera, and which is super important. Yeah. And this is something that you know, you, you've recently written a paper about this or co-wrote a paper about this, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. So I know this is something that is important to you. But before we get there, I, there's something that I've been doing recently, and I, I found some very interesting answers to this question. So I've noticed that many people in pathology have creative interests that are outside of the field, outside of medicine, or even outside of science in, in some cases. Now, I saw an interview with you and you were talking about an interest in wine and you were doing some, I guess it's training as a, a word I can never say, some sommelier, I think is how you say it. Yeah, someone, yeah, yep. Okay. All right. Can we, can we talk about that interest? Because I feel like there's a connection between that and and, and what you do in pathology. Can, so first, can we start with how, how did you get interested in wine? Yeah, so... Um, when I was training, I actually did a year of training at Stanford, which is, you know, in Palo Alto, not very far from San Francisco and not very far from wine country. So I had an opportunity to go to Napa and a few other places um, while in California. And at that point, I was pretty ignorant to wine. I had no real exposure to it. And that was like a really awesome opportunity. And I started to educate myself. 
And then we have a local amazing wine market where the people that work there, the owners are just experts in wine and they do wine dinners there and wine tasting, et cetera. And I've just had the opportunity to kind of interact with them, go to their wine dinners, go to their wine tastings and learn more about wine, which is great. And then of course, had the opportunity recently to complete my level one sommelier and hope to do level two soon. Okay, how, how long does it take to do that, the, the level one training? Not bad. Level one, you actually do in a day. Um, level two is a weekend um, experience. Level three is you know much longer than, of course, level four is years and years. So I don't suspect with my time constraints, I'll ever be a level four, but certainly would hope to do a level two and maybe one time even do a level three eventually. Okay. Now, the, the reason I wanted to talk about this is that I've I've been to wine tastings and people will say, you know, I have hints of what moss or, you know, oak or whatever. And I always thought, okay, you're just, you're just making that up. But there really is, I think that's a skill you have to develop. And that's the same as say in heme path where you have to develop the skill to recognize certain characteristics under a slide. Am I, am I stretching that a little bit or do you, or is there some kind of connection there? No, I 100% agree with you. Um, when you're when you're tasting a wine for the first time, you're utilizing all your senses and you're paying attention to everything. So I'm looking at the color of the wine. I'm looking to the mouthfeel of the wine, the the nose of the wine, the, the the beginning taste, the aftertaste. You're kind of you're looking at a lot of different things and you're utilizing all of that to determine what kind of wine is this, where is it from, how old is it, etc. And it's the same thing when you're doing heme path. You're looking at the morphology. You're analyzing the flow cytometry. You're looking at the stains. You're kind of utilizing all this information to get to the best answer possible. And it really just another thing I like about wine is you kind of turn everything off. You're just focusing on that. So I'm smelling and I'm paying close attention. I'm drinking it. I'm not thinking about what's going on at work or thinking about the person next to me. I'm really focusing on this wine and enjoying it. This is the same thing with EMPAP. When you're looking at a glass slide, you're really taking all of your time and all of your energy to look at the slide and really analyze it. And I think in a lot of ways, those two things go hand in hand. And for me, they're both really enjoyable to do. Probably not at the same time, but really enjoyable to do nonetheless. (laughs) That's good to know. (laughs) All right. Now, you're currently the residency director for pathology at your institution. How did this position come about for you? I I thought very early on I wanted to be a doctor when I was very, very little, but I also wanted to be a teacher. So really being an academic institution, I was able to make both of these goals come true, being a physician and being a teacher. So I knew right away in residency that I wanted to be a program director. I wanted to help shape the curriculum for my residents. Um, and so that was really the opportunity. The program director that trained me Um, is actually a close friend of mine and a mentor. Um, And so when I started his residency program, I let him know, hey, I'd I'd love to do this This is something I'd like to do. And he really mentored me and taught me and kind of took me under his wing. And so when he decided to step back and spend more time over the medical school, uh, that position was opened up for me. And it's been a great experience ever since then. I really had a wonderful mentor that helped prepare me for that position. Okay. And and like we said earlier, mentors are very important. Now, so what specific things are you doing in that, as far as the teaching aspect of that role? I mean, you are you teaching 
just heme path? Are you teaching other, is there like an introduction to pathology type of a lecture or, you know, are there things like that? Yeah, we do a little bit of everything. Um, every curriculum is different depending on the residency program you go to. But in July, we do a boot camp series, which is kind of like 101, the basics of pathology. I do a little bit of lecturing in that. Throughout the um, academic year, I also, of course, do lecturing in hematopathology. I also do a large bulk of our lectures on coagulation. Um, and I also teach about hemoglobinopathies, benign disorders of hematology, and then we have a lab management series we do as well. And I discuss uh, core competencies of pathologists as it relates like interfaces with other pathologists, with your lab team, with your clinical colleagues, et cetera. So kind of try to teach best practices to my uh, residents regarding how they interact with other people in the healthcare system. Well, I like that. That's I think that's really important, too. I mean, you, you know, with a place where I work, that we have we have pathology residents and you know, I always think part of the thing that you're trying to learn is how to interact with other people in the lab, because that's very important. You know, we're all trying to get the best results for the patient and kind of transfer information from one person to another. So it's important to be able to uh, communicate effectively. Yes. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Dr. Natasha Savage. We'll be right back. LabVine is building a team to help lab medicine professionals live their best lives. Now, these are commission-based sales positions, and the only requirement is that you're passionate about helping people, especially laboratorians. I'll have a link in the show notes where you can email for more information or just watch the LabVine social media pages. Also, this month on LabVine, there are some great resources for managing laboratory finances. These topics include financial management, financial statements, budgets, controlling costs, and making financial decisions. And you can find these at LabVine by following the link in the show notes. Dress a Med has been designing and manufacturing high-quality scrubs since 1980. The prices are affordable, the shipping is very fast, and the scrubs have lots of pockets, which I really like. I actually have several sets of these myself. So check out Dress a Med by using the link in the show notes. You can sign up for their loyalty program for free and earn special offers and discounts. Now back to Dr. Natasha Savage on the People of Pathology podcast. And, and then as far as, like we mentioned the mentor thing a couple of times already, do you feel like you've been a mentor to uh, some of the students along the way? Yeah, that's something that, you know, I like most about my position. I serve as a career advisor for pathology declared medical students. So every year we have a couple of students that want to go into pathology. I help make sure their application is as strong as it can be, decide which programs may be best fit for them help give them advice, review their personal statements. And before all of that, I hope that I served as somebody that made them want to go into pathology, that I was a good representation of what the field is. Then as far as my residents, um, they're assigned mentors when they first start in residency, and um, they can switch mentors if they determine that their uh, specialty doesn't really align with their mentor specialty. So typically in a normal year, we have three residents and usually about one of those three actually want to go into heme path. So it's not uncommon that I have a resident that maybe starts with a different mentor and then migrates to me because of their shared interest in hematopathology. And I've been very happy to see how um, my prior trainees and my current residents match in, this, in hematopathology and where they end up. So it's been a great relationship and a great opportunity for me. Yeah, that has to feel really rewarding to have so many of your residents become interested in the specialty that that you like. 
hundred percent. It makes you feel like you're doing something right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm curious about sort of the initial, like we, we talked about your sort of initial exposure to pathology. And I've heard people say that that makes a difference depending on if it's, the, you know, that initial introduction to pathology lecture or whatever presentation it happens to be, if that's kind of dry and boring, that kind of turns them off from the field from the beginning. Do you, do you feel like that's that should be done in a better way than it has been? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, lectures are great and there's definitely a place for it. Um, and s- certainly that's useful, but interactive le- uh, lectures, case presentations, unknown conferences, that kind of stuff, lectures where you ask questions of the resident, et cetera, it's more interactive, typically is more interesting and engaging for them. And I'm sure certainly makes what you're teaching more appealing to them than a cut and dry, you know, here's the information black and white on a slide type thing. What about something like, I don't, I don't even know if this is even possible, but bringing students into the lab, say for a tour, do you think that would be effective? Yes, we actually do that. Um, that's something I really like to do. We have a amazing automated laboratory where we work. And I think the medical students get super excited to kind of see you know, they, they know how blood is drawn, but they don't know once it gets in the lab, how does it get from the tube all the way through, you know, pre, pre-analytical po- or analytical, post-analytical, all that stuff. So what are all the pro- steps in that that processing? And it's they get very excited to see the instruments and how they work and how does the automation line work and what does everyone do in the lab? I think it's also educational for them to understand, like, why does this particular test take this amount of time, but this particular test take this amount of time? And what are some things that could confound the results, et cetera? So I think it's just a really great opportunity. And then seeing the lab move and work definitely is more engaging and exciting for them. And I think ultimately will make more medical students uh, interested in pathology. Sure. Yeah, I hope so. I and actually, but I could see how this would be helpful for, you know, doctors in other fields as well, surgeons and just kind of general practitioners. I think. A hundred percent. Sometimes you know they'll will have uh, physicians want to know results of a test, like a, they want a stat culture or stat this or that, and it's you know just not understanding about how cultures are done or how is flow cytometry done, how come the results take the time that they they do. And, and it's just not knowledgeable about the field, just like I'm not fully knowledgeable about what they do for a living. But because they utilize the lab, it's important that they have some understanding about what we're doing and how we're doing it so that they can better care for their patients. And it's really our obligation as pathologists to teach others about this. Like we have to be the ambassadors of the field. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. So one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you is you are one of the co-authors on a paper that's titled A Medical Student's Guide to Pathology Residency, Fellowships, and Careers. And I saw this paper on Twitter, actually. So I, so I wanted to talk to you about this. So first of all, how did the idea to write this paper come about? Yeah, so um, Dr. Dijowski, Ryan Dijowski, was one of my prior residents, uh, medical students, and he's phenomenal. He's just a great human being and an awesome pathologist. He's really passionate about pathology and teaching others about it and recruiting. And he's really what's best about pathologists, frankly. And so he had this idea to write this paper and he asked if I was 
would be happy to help. And of course, I contributed and provided additional information as well. Uh, being a program director, I have a bit more knowledge as far as, you know, residency programs go and ACG compliance, that kind of stuff. And then just being a hematopathologist, I have knowledge in that particular area as well and being a career advisor to medical students, et cetera. So it allowed me to kind of give additional information to Ryan and help support his paper. And I was really happy to do it because it was an awesome paper and an awesome idea and something that's really needed um, in our field. And like just reading through the paper, I mean, it really tries to sell the pathology field. And you go through pointing out a lot of the positives of the field, uh, in, you know, ways that it's different from other other specialties. Why do you think it was it was necessary to kind of point out sort of the contrast between pathology and other other medical specialties? Most medical students, you know, they in their core curriculum, they learn about pathology. We get up there and teach them about, you know, how in the lab, how is rheumatoid arthritis diagnosed and what does a granuloma look like and what's the differential diagnosis, et cetera. But it's not really what a pathologist does on day to day. We teach them what pathology is, but I don't think it's a really good snapshot into what a pathologist actually does in a day to day. And the vast majority of your medical students will never do a pathology um, rotation. It's not required. And, um, you know, there's limited time to do electives, so they frequently choose to do something else. And because of that, we, we really don't get an opportunity to show them what a pathologist is. We don't get an opportunity to, to sell it. So I think papers like this are super important to show a medical student. What is the career like? What are we doing? Why is it a great career? Why you should consider it? Please sign up for an elective. We'd love to show you more about it, et cetera. And just kind of, you know, further expose an awesome field that's kind of this diamond in the rough that people don't realize is there. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, people don't realize it. And I wonder why it has happened that way that, you know, in, in throughout medical school, like you said, you don't really get an idea of what a pathologist does. It, it seems like that's not the case for a lot of other specialties. You kind of do rotations in those and, and you learn what, what that job would be. Yeah, hundred percent. You, you know, you finish medical school, you know, to some extent learning how to be a pediatrician and how to be a family medicine doctor and an internist and a surgeon and a psychiatrist, et cetera, because they're all required rotations. But there's none of that in pathology. And I, I get it. There's so much to learn in the field of medicine. So doing an elective in every single thing is probably not feasible. But it does seem like it's opportunity lost. Um, you know, the medical students don't spend more time in the lab or with the pathologist learning what they do. Because even if they don't choose that field, ultimately, they're going to base at least 70 percent of their medical decisions on a pathologist's work. And it's really important they understand how that work was generated. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that for sure. All right, now I wanted to talk about something in, in this paper. Now you, it addresses kind of what what's the future of pathology is going to be, and this includes uh, digital pathology, which you know everybody is talking about these days. So I, I kind of wanted to talk about the the future of pathology. What do you think it, it is going to look like? Yeah, so I think a hundred percent, like with all all areas of medicine, we're going to use more and more AI and digital pathology, et cetera. And I think it's going to make our lives much easier. So for instance, um, I started as a an attending um, on faculty in 2012, which really wasn't that long ago. 
But if somebody came to the hospital in the middle of the night and they suspected the patient had acute promyositic leukemia, I would drive 30 minutes to the hospital and get the blood smear, look at it under the microscope, and then contact the physician, let them know what I thought, and then drive 30 minutes back home. But now all of our peripheral blood smears are digitally available from home, so I can review them at home. We can we have the capability of looking at flow cytometry from home as well. Now with uh, digital pathology being more and more available, I can be at home with, say, a sick child, and I know there's a stat lymphoma workup. I can call my colleague and ask him, would he mind uh, remotely reviewing the case with me if he's in the hospital, et cetera. So there's more and more opportunities for that. It definitely makes your life easier. There are certain things we do in pathology that are quite tedious. So, for instance, take a case where you have to count the number of mitotic figures and et cetera. I'm sure before too much longer, there's going to be opportunities where there's a um, AI that will actually help count mitotic figures for you. Looking at lymph nodes for metastases, I know everybody knows how painful it is to like look through, you know, 20 plus lymph nodes on a bowel resection to look for metastatic deposits. But now, of course, they're trying to develop things that help identify those for you. And so they're never going to be perfect. You know, it's it's a it's just a computer. It's just doing what it's programmed to do. So, of course, it's always going to have to have human oversight, et cetera. But I think our jobs are going to get a lot easier and we're going to be able to become much more efficient in what we do and, you know, potentially uh, provide resources for other things as well and kind of further advance the career pathology, et cetera. So I think it's a really great and exciting time where um, medical students will really like the opportunities and the flexibilities that digital pathology is going to offer them. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, some of these new technologies and even the things that are kind of on the on or just beyond the horizon right now, as far as you mentioned the AI, but that stuff is really exciting and it's really interesting and I think would be almost fun to use. And I wonder if that would appeal to medical students just to see this kind of the, the rapid technological advance of the pathology field. Do you think that would have an influence? A hundred percent. I know this is silly, but I remember when smartphones were becoming a thing, I was in fellowship and I remember telling my husband, like, I'm never going to want to deal with those. I don't want to have that next to me all the time, you know? And so I use it, obviously <laughs> we all use it. And I'm pretty young, but a lot of my trainees, this is this is what they grew up with. This was, you know, they had these when they were five years old in the house. Like it was, you know, the way their lifestyle. And so I think really appreciating that and bringing technology and things that they're interested in. A lot of them, you know, knew more about the stuff when they were 10 than I did at 30. So I think it's really a great opportunity to take something they're excited about, they're educated about and really integrate it to their lifestyle and their work. Um, there's a lot of uh, medical students, very bright medical students that are interested in technology and AI and these types of things. And really, pathology is going to be able to pull those people in and maybe other specialties may be lacking or not integrating that as much. So that's certainly an opportunity for us. I know this paper is fairly new, but have you gotten any do you know do you know of have you gotten any feedback on on it? Or, you know, has anybody told you that this is really a something that pathology needs, something like this to introduce medical students to the field better? 
Yeah, actually, I've seen it retweeted a few times by medical students and basically them saying that this is this really made me consider pathology and what a great read, et cetera, which was super rewarding for me and Dr. Tuchowski because that's the whole reason we did this paper. So mission completion, essentially, and definitely something we're excited about. And I think more pieces like this are really needed to kind of further the um, the recruitment of really strong, ambitious medical students into pathology. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Do you have any plans yourself for something else in this kind of vein? Yeah, so I think with um, with anything now with COVID, there's it's definitely easier to co-scope and do cases remotely, review remotely. So I'm certainly looking at opportunities with other people in my department to increase um, medical student involvement, allowing them to co-scope virtually more frequently, allow opportunities for that. Um, to kind of further get the pathology out there. Um, once COVID dies down, I hope soon um, with the Delta surge, we hope to further uh, increase activity with our pathology interest group. Um, I know the CAP is really working in this area too, uh, helping to uh, recruit uh, additional medical students into the pathology field by offering things like awards for pathology interested medical students, et cetera. So really, um, working with CAP, the Georgia Association of Pathologists, et cetera, kind of further highlighting pathology as a career choice. Yeah, those are all great things. And you mentioned uh, COVID. I mean, throughout the pandemic, there's really been a spotlight on the lab and on pathology. So if ever there was the time to spread the word about the field, now is that time. Yeah, 100%. I don't think up until COVID, people really understood what validation meant, why we can't just have every single test possible, what limitations were, how it's why it's different, why different um, instruments are important and how they use different reagents and really what the role of a medical director is. And I think there's a lot of pathologists out there that really took this opportunity to shine a spotlight on pathologists and why testing is so important, why good, accurate testing is so important, what LDTs mean, what FDA clearance means, what what a medical director does day to day, all these things, I think, you know, most people really didn't understand these things. And I know at very high levels, our um, molecular pathologist has been in meetings with uh, very high level people at our institution and other institutions teaching them about validation, et cetera. And I think it's a great opportunity to shine a spotlight on, again, our area that oftentimes is overlooked or, you know, not really appreciated for what it is. I think this was a really good opportunity for us. Yeah, I absolutely agree. We we do have to take advantage of the this opportunity and you know, hopefully this is one of the good things that comes out of this whole uh situation if if there if there can be a kind of a bright side to it or a silver lining, I guess. I I hope this is one of them. Completely agree. Yeah. Now, all right, I'm going to uh, include a link in the show notes to the the paper that we were talking about. I like I said, I've seen it on Twitter, but I I hope that more people can read it because it is, even if you're already in the field, it is really interesting. And it's nice to see kind of a full explanation of what pathology is. And, and I think those of us already in the field should feel proud of that. And it's definitely would be great to share and to get more people interested in the field. Perfect. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I had an awesome time uh, interacting with you and meeting you, and I, I thank you a lot for taking the time to interview me. Thank you. I, I appreciate your time. Dr. Natasha Savage, thank you very much. Thank you.
Great big thanks to Dr. Natasha Savage. Next week, I'll be speaking with Dr. Kerry August, who is a pathologist and the president of the CAP Foundation. Here's a short preview, and then I'll be back with some final thoughts on this episode. My first exposure to pathology was in sophomore year when we all had pathology class with a lab session. And I liked it well enough. I don't know that I specifically thought I would choose it. When I was in my third year of medical school, as we were doing our clinical rotations, I became more and more confused about what I wanted to do. And one day, going to the pathology department with my internal medicine team to look at slides on one of our patients, one of my pathology teachers said, what is it that you want to do? And I said, I have no idea. I'm very confused. And she said, well, what do you like? And I said, well, I like surgery. But once we open up and I see what's in there, I'm gone. I just want to see what's there. And she said, well, you should sign up down here. And that's exactly what I did. So as Dr. Savage said, it really is up to pathologists to advocate for the field to medical students and to show them what a rewarding field it is. And there are so many pathologists that are doing that these days, whether with papers like this one or on social media and other ways. And I think that's going to have a real positive impact in the near future. I'll have a link in the show notes to the paper that we talked about, which was free at the time that I read it, but I don't think it is anymore, although you should be able to get it through most institutions. Don't forget, you can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram at People of Path or connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others and together let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. And you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.